With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock in the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello, everyone. We are back to horse racing today on the Paddock and the Pavilion. On Tuesday, the 23rd of June 2020, the career of young jockey Jacob Pritchard Webb changed forever after a fall riding in France left him paralysed from the waist down. All of our lives can change in a moment, as Jacob has discovered. And making this podcast has made me think how our own lives can change in a split second. Thank you for coming on the show, Jacob. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. How are you, Stephen? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. Uh, and your story, as we were talking off air, does make you think, and it certainly made me think just even preparing and reading about you on the podcast and having seen you on the, the Sky Sports documentary with Luke Harvey only a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was a bit of a, obviously... I suppose it happening out in France kind of got a bit more publicity. Um, I don't really know if there had been many serious accidents out there uh, to the degree of mine. Um, and it kind of went under the radar for the first three weeks. There was, there was no news. Um, and then the Racing Post article came out and then it, it just went crazy after that. And, uh, and then since then, people have followed it up and... And then, yeah, uh, almost a year to the well, the year uh, a year to the day, almost that the that me and Luke did the um the Sky Sports interview, and again that that went quite crazy after that as well. So it's been a bit of a a wild ride to say to say the least this last year. Well, if we can take you back to that that day on the twenty third of June, was it just a normal day's racing for you on that day? No, no, it was actually kind of hectic. So. Um, uh, it was gonna. I had two rides at Autoy, which is the premier track in France. It's the equivalent to Cheltenham, and I was having only my fourth and fifth ride at the track, um, both outside um, rides for two Western trainers. One who I ride for regularly anyway, 
and one was for Serge Fouché, the trainer of Saïda Grugy and Corto Star. And they both had good each-way chances. I hadn't ridden either of them before. And the night before I drove up to Shanti, which was four hours from my base with Emmanuel Clay in the centre of France. And I'm, I met some friends and had some lunch. And then the following morning, I, I'd never ridden out in Shanti before. So I went and rode one lot out for David Cotan um, on the famous Les Aigles gallops, which is the, the four kilometre gallop through the woods, the famous ones that you see in the pictures that's got the steady incline. So, however, that then left me running late for the races and with Paris tra- traffic next to the, the Stade de France. I remember, I remember vividly passing that and thinking, I'm going to miss I'm going to miss my first ride. And, and uh, I, you almost laugh about it now. It's like then it was almost the worst thing in the world if I'd have missed that ride. And, um, and now looking back, it's like, damn, maybe I should have missed that ride. Um, and yeah, so God, that was a very hot day. I remember it was an extremely hot day and I was riding um for the owners now become a good friend of mine actually because of the accent uh a vet and he has pure black silks and i remember all the lads laughing at me having wearing black silks and the horse was also quite keen and southeast but we again it was a good race so we went off a good we went off fast we were looking at about a horse rated about 135 ability and we got to the fourth and I couldn't really tell you what happened in terms of how, how we even made the mistake to, to fall. It was, the obstacle was an oxer. It's a very long and low, but very solid obstacle in French racing. And it was as he landed his following stride, he's almost like he couldn't get his front legs out in front of him. Um, so he just fell into the, and it's not a jump where you would typically ever slip your reins like in English racing because you're never landing that steep. And so I've obviously got a tight hold of his head. And as he's gone down, it's fired me into the ground head first and then which resulted in all the damage. Um, so was it? Yeah, I remember. Was it pain instantly then when you when you went down? I think they I get asked a lot. Did did I get knocked out? It's almost like this thought process that a heavy fall or a lot of pain makes you pass out I think I hit my head and momentarily was blacked out but as soon as I hit my back the pain brought me back out of unconsciousness that's how it must have been I can't tell you that for sure but all I do remember is after I stopped rolling I am conscious and yeah I can feel everything in terms of the pain but as I was rolling I lost the feeling to my legs and I'm lying there well it was live on telly um I'm lying there starfish across the ground but there's a phantom feeling that my legs are still in the air because I lost the sensation during mid-roll it was just very very bizarre very bizarre and I just remember this excruciating pain going through my t4 which was the major vertebrae that got broken in a funny way i couldn't feel my broken ribs because 
so I was almost blessed from that point of view. Um, so yeah, so it was a bit of a. So yeah, were your pa- parents watching on television at the time, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. Yeah, they were watching live, and my dad was just stunned, and my mum kept couldn't understand, like, because I always. It's so weird. I had about only about a hundred rides, and I'd fallen off plenty of times before, but I'd never broken anything. I'm not one of you know. I'd never done a collarbone, and never done a, you know nothing. And then in that one fall, and my strike rate of falls in France had gone. I'd only had six. I only had three falls um, from sixty rides, which was just like unheard of. And um, yeah, in that one fall, I managed to do all that damage, and they just couldn't. It was like, oh god, he's not moving, and he's not got up. And it was like, but like I said, I couldn't even tell you how the horse made the fall, and it happened so quickly. They couldn't. They couldn't fathom it either. So um, my my mum kept recording it, and my dad was just like, "Why? Why are we still watching this?" And then um, they didn't hear off me for about. They didn't hear of anything for about twenty minutes, I believe. Felix de Giles got my phone to me in the ambulance, but I didn't see him. And then as I, the woman said, "Oh, your phone's ringing. It's your mum. Do you want to answer it?" And I said, "Yeah, we better had." And then. Um, the two questions were like, um, have you broken your back? And I said, yes, I think so. And it's, can you feel your legs? And I said, no. And then my mum said, right, we're on our way. And uh, nine and a half hours later, they arrived in Paris. So, yeah, quite quite extraordinary, really. Yeah, and I read in um, one of your uh, articles that um, you said that one in 16 jockeys well, one in 16 races, you fall. So you had a quite a, a good record of not falling and you really are a different breed, you national hunt jockeys. Yeah, it, it, the, I don't know what it, the result, I mean, I could look through, but in guys were like 40 rides in pointing and I probably hit the deck 10, 10 or 12 times. And then I had 60 rides in France. I got unseated once and that was in a French cross country um which are pretty fearsome and it was at the it was down in Po which they some of the obstacles down there are, are ginormous um and then yeah and then I had two falls from 60 rides so it was a different way of riding though a bit more conservative midway through the race and the horses tend to fin- finish with a bit more energy so I suppose you're not they're not running on tired legs as much as they would be over here so yeah, so I, it was just um, yeah, very yeah. I couldn't really believe it, really. Well, let's go back to your beginnings in horse racing. We're going to talk later about you know your recovery and your, I think nearly six months you spent in hospital. I read you started in harness racing. Why did you start in harness racing? Well, because of the man who you just briefly met. Um, my grandparents. This was back in the day when they still used to be flapping in Wales, um, along with harness racing. And uh, Grandad started off with a flapper, and then they got uh, a mare, a pacer, and it all started off from there, really. And then they got another one with some family members, and we're talking now probably 40, 45 years ago this started. And 
yeah so my nan raced and then my mum's oldest sister raced my mum raced my auntie's husband raced it was just throughout the family really um so i didn't start riding till the age of 11 and then i did my first harness race at the age of 14 um when I look back now, I went and visited, a, I went and watched harness racing for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And I just thought, oh, I'm quite glad I'm not doing that anymore because it looked bonkers. But at the age of 14, you, I suppose I was quite fearless. And um, I managed to win my first race as well. And yeah, I, was, I had a lot of success actually. Did it for five years. Had something like 43 winners. Um, but my granddad's, was champion driver 12 times so we were kind of like one of the powerhouse stables in Han in the harness racing world um so i was very lucky i had a lot of good horses um and somebody said oh you're small and light and i was we you can also do it in a saddle not just the sulky um so i was winning quite a lot of those races and they were like why don't you go be a jockey and it was a summer sport, so in the winter, your weekends were spent watching National Hunt Racing. And uh, it was like, yeah, okay then. So I um, went to the racing school at 18 and went straight into St. Mark's. Oh, Mark so you went, to, you went to the racing school at Newmarket and then you went to St. Mark's at Heath House? Yes, yeah. They, they said that St. Mark was looking for someone. And I think actually I was one of the oldest people on the course. Um, I only did the four-week course. I've been riding out at yards during my time at Hartbury, part-time and stuff. And so Mark was looking for, for a lad. And they said I, they thought I would fit the bill. So, yeah, I went there and, and was there for 13 months. And oh, it was brilliant. Some of the best, brilliant grounding, best place to learn everything from such an early age in, in the, the world of horse racing and I mean, there's there's no better man to work for, really. He's a bit of a legend and um, quite frightening at times. Um, and it, it it was hard work, that's for sure. But we, I was there when we had Marsha and Time Warp, and um, so yeah, it was it was a good time to be there. So did you get to ride Marsha as well? I did. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. Got to do uh, at the start of her. Uh, it was at the end of her, no, beginning of a three-year-old season, I believe. All I remember, I think I rode her for about six weeks, but it was when she'd come back into work and I did her first couple of pieces of work on the Alba Hat tree, but it was all with the handbrake on. And I remember it was her fi- the final piece of work I did before Luke Morris took over. And I hadn't worked any horse up to the calibre that, that she was and I remember Sir Mark saying right you're going to join Time Warp, Time Warp on the inside who was obviously no mug at this stage with listed listed horse join Time Warp up the inside do not move on her and do not do not pass him um and I was like kind of worried thinking how am I going to get this horse without asking her to join bearing in mind like I'd been riding horses that were probably half the rating that she was and that, and so Mark's rule is that if you don't have a, a license, a jockey's license, you can't ride with the whip. So everything is hands and heels. And um, 
when you're inexperienced you know that's quite difficult and anywhere I just I, I'll never forget the feeling all of the moment because the gap opened up and my hands just got further and further away from her neck and she she just got stronger and stronger luckily it didn't go wrong but um oh wow yeah what a horse no she was it was it was it it's I'm very proud to have been a part of a small part of the horse that she became because um she was a bit of a superstar so yeah, she certainly yeah. wasn't a great learning place at St Mark's to, to start your racing career and you then went to is it Fergal O'Brien's as well yeah yeah I was in at Fergal's for two years uh that's basically you know big credit to Sally Randall really for for getting me schooling because I'd done no jumping it's not like I did pony club or anything like that the trotters were all galloped on the flat and stuff so there was no there'd be no schooling so it was a bit of a right I need to learn everything because my weight was too heavy for the flat and Sally they took me on and Sally got me schooling and it was a a slow slog at it and um lots of frustrating days trying to get the timings right and see strides and everything um and from my time of being there June Watts who was one of Sally's as owners and a lovely, lovely woman. They had a horse called Pantzoa that was previously with Alan King and then went to Fergus to be a hunter chaser and won first time out with Ali Sterling being a good horse of John Joe's. And he had three runs for Fergal and then they offered him to me to be a pointer so that I could, and I trained him myself in my lunch times and he was stabled down the road with a couple who I ended up living with and becoming very close with, uh, Matthew and Linda Delahook. And yeah, from being at Fergal's and having him, he they, they, they kind of taught me everything. And he was great because he he wasn't a, a schoolmaster and he, he was as safe as houses, but he wasn't like your typical schoolmaster because he wasn't an easy ride and um he wasn't, you know, foot perfect at every jump, shall we say. So um, I had plenty of mishaps on him. And uh, he's actually just arrived at the farm this week for his retirement. Um, after two two years of training him and in two years of being apart from him, being out in France and stuff, I've got him, I've now got him um, at the farm now to be retired for uh, the age of 14. So that's, it's kind of a, a lovely story really um it sounds it yeah and how how then from fergo o'brien's did you get to be riding in you must have ridden some races in this country you saying point to pointing that how did you then get to finish up riding in france i did a summer and a, a winter at fergal's or just a bit and a bit more and then it got to the summer and i said to fergal i you know i need to get more experience schooling in order for like to be an asset to you. Um, and I said, uh, can I have eight weeks out in France? A poor man who I rode out for pointing had met a head girl out there who was selling horses at a sale and for, for a French trainer. And they were look. they always looked for staff. They'd also previously had Rex Dingle out there at this yard. So I got in contact with her. Fergal was like, yeah, you can have 
you know, a month or if you like it, do two months out there. And this was at Alain Cotil in the west of France at Sanon, where Louisa Carbri also trains. So I drove out there with my mum and then she f- flew back the following day. And then I spent eight weeks one summer with uh, Alan Cotil's and he'd be a, he'd have 70, 80 horses and about 15 of those would be jumpers. And then I'd say about 30 of 30 of the horses would be AQPS flat horses that would then possibly jump with him or if they'd done well, he'd sell them. And it was brilliant. It was a roasting hot summer. It was a great lifestyle. You know, you don't just work all the time. There's, there's plenty of living to be done out there. And, um, I, yeah, I loved it. There was a small English community as well, which is nice because you don't feel completely alone, but the, the French were very welcoming and you were just then, and I was learning about the, the way their racing works and I was just seeing so many positives. Um, and it was the fact that people were like, oh, if you had had a, a different license, you'd have been riding this weekend and I'd only been there a month. And I was like, maybe I'm missing the boat here. Um, however, I'd only done just done one season with my pointer and I thought it was too much of a risk to stay out there because it was like people would use me, but I hadn't had enough experience under my belt to probably kind of sell myself. So I came back to England, did another season pointing. After a couple of months, I left Fergals and went to Emma Bishops to just because I, I just wanted to ride out in the mornings and then try and spend my afternoons at pointing yards to get as many opportunities on the weekend because when I came back from France within about two months I decided that I was going to go back the following year and I was going to stay out there I had obviously in that time learned about the exploits of James Reevely and Felix de Giles and how well they had done out there there, yeah 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 and James will be champion again this year Felix just as this year has also just won the French Grand National it's just like, you know, huge, huge, huge races. And I was just like, and so I did another season. I only had two winners that year. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely the right decision to go. And Emma had been great to me for the six months previously. Um, I learned a bit more. You know, we broke a horse in together, which was another string to, string to my bow. Um, did it all by myself. and. Um, three winners I think I'd had in the two years pointing which isn't really enough to get you collect you know collected by a big condition uh for a big conditional job in England so um yeah I made the move went back to Alan Cotil's for two months had a couple of rides on my English license for a small trainer in Sonon and I ended up with two seconds in my first four rides I think and this is easy um I couldn't, couldn't believe my luck. And then I got the job with Emmanuel. I'd met Felix and him and Louisa said, go down to Emmanuel's. If you don't, if you're not going to, because there is obviously going to be the competition element at a big yard again. And I kind of was thinking, well, it didn't work the last time at Fergal. So I was, so I was a bit apprehensive, but it was, it was a case of he's, 
a good a good man a good trainer with people like Felix going in and there was Gareth Malone there at the time who was also an ex-English jockey if you don't like it after six months you will learn something from there your riding will get what about what about language I mean how how was your French had you learned much or were you good at school at French and no I, I went over with zero French went over with zero French um yeah Riding out at Alan's, you had the head girl with English, and they the the staff were all very welcoming, and they were they found it enjoyable to learn English, and they would teach you French as you were riding out, and then you go out for nights out with them. The only trainer I ever rode for who spoke English was Emmanuel, so you learn I I learned horse French which is basically, do you want me in front or behind? <laughs> and can, can he jump? Um, and uh, I remember my, the first, my first winner for Bertrand, he pointed to that fence and, he, and I understood last lap, he pointed to that fence and he said, when you jump that, and then he just went push. So, so it was very easy instructions. Um, and, and so, yeah, and, so and that took it. And looking at your your record in in France, you read you had six winners, eleven places in in about sixty rides. So yes, something like that. Yeah, I um, and most of my rides I was normally always in the top five as well because obviously prize money is down to that. So I kept a lot of people happy picking up checks. So were you happy with where your career was going um, before the accident? So we're going to come on to the recovery in your hospital hospital next. Yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. Looking back, absolutely. At the time, the month before my accident was a hard was hard going. It's a lot because, of travelling, isn't there? Yeah, I was. I'd had a winner in the May, and I'd driven five hundred kilometers one way for one ride. Luckily, it went and won, and it was about a nine grand to the winner race. So it was a decent race in Chateaubriand, but it was still over a thousand kilometers in a day. Um, and I was dreading it not winning just from a mental and mental standpoint. And then the next month was hard graft. And then the weekend before the accident, I finally got a second and a third. So I was kind of a bit happier. But um, yeah, it was a lot of a lot of driving and because I'd started in the West, I had a lot of contacts and Bertrand Lefebvre was in the West. So I was constantly trying to figure out wherever I was going to be riding for Emmanuel in Paris or in the middle of France, or I'd be up in the West riding for Bertrand. But I'd run, you know, from the six winners, they were, one was a flat winner, one was a hurdle winner and the rest were all over fences. Um, and then I suppose you could, kind of say it had to have been going somewhere in order to have two rides at Autoy for outside trainers. So yeah, I was very proud of that. Catch part two with Jacob, available from Sunday the 4th of September. In the podcast, I spoke to this determined young man about his lengthy spell in a French hospital, along with his future ambitions. Here's a clip from part two. The first week, I can't really remember too much to be honest, um, my mum, like I said, my mum and dad came that night and they stayed, my mum stayed with me 
football every day bar I think three or four days she wasn't with me um I remember seeing Felix on the, the, the following day after my accident um and us having a laugh about something so I had a very good support group my nan came over five three days later and spent the weekend so I was never actually alone and that was a huge thing even though it was covid it was at a time in France where the covid was never bad enough to not allow visitors we were limited on how many people but that was basically what got me through was the visitors thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion follow us on twitter facebook and now on instagram at the pad and pad don't forget if you like the show please do leave us a rating and review sports social podcast network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.